Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Steve from the History of the Papacy podcast, and in this interview we're doing today as a part of Agora Presents, we're interviewing an independent author, an independent published author named Bobby Adair, and he's the writer of almost 20 books, and um, we're so happy to have you on today. Well, thank you. Great to be here. Now, um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, where you're coming from. Oh, gosh, hard questions already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well, I guess um, I've uh, done a variety of things through life, uh, but the last probably 15 years I spent writing software for some uh, big and small companies and uh, always wanted to be a writer. So, um I guess through the eighties and nineties, you know, uh, back in the early days, I used to write letters to uh, publishers and say, please, please publish my book. And, you know, they'd always send back a nice letter that was basically no. Um, so I guess at some point about three years ago, um, I kind of became aware of self-publishing and thought I'd give it a go. And, um, gosh, the first two books I self-published did, very poorly. The first one, I think I sold um, 12 copies. Um, the second one, I, so, so after that, I thought, wait, there must be something more to just putting your book out there in the world and, you know, having people just throw money at you. Um, and I, I guess I came to the realization that it wasn't just an artistic endeavor, but a business endeavor that was required I kind of running in running in peril to, to make a success of it. So the second book sold probably about 10,000 copies. Um, I, I got very involved in the marketing. And then um, the third book that I published uh, was the first of a, um, uh, I guess a zombie series that now has nine books. Um, and that one sold, let's just say a whole lot of copies. <laughs> Well, actually, let me take that back. I, I'd set that one up for free initially. So it was a free book. And the idea being that I could kind of uh, let people try it out before buying the subsequent books in the series. And uh, it's worked out really well for me. That's how I learned about the books that just came up on Amazon as a um, 
as a free book, so why not, you know? And um, now I've read just about every single one of them. And I guess that's one of the things that... um, Now, did you do this while you were working a full-time job as well, at least initially? Yes. Yeah. I I think the... uh, um... When I gave away the free, the first free zombie book, that was, I think, July of whatever, that 2013, probably. Um, yeah, so probably July of 2013. Um, I was, yeah, I was working full time then, and I worked, I continued to, continued to work full time for just over a year after that. And in that time, I wrote, I think, four or five more books. Um, so it was a uh, basically like having two full time jobs. So um, yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, it was it was a lot of work, but uh, um, the path was worth it. Well, you know, it's like everything in, in life. I think anything you really want to succeed at, it, it basically you've got to well work very hard at it or get really lucky. And you know, people <laughs> the, the getting lucky business plan didn't seem appealing to me. <laughs> Did you try to put, sell these ones to the major publishers, the the zombie books? I use the word zombie in air quotes because it really isn't the classic zombie story. But I th- we'll get into that in a moment or two. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't even. Uh, it didn't even cross my mind. You know, um, I guess by the by the time I'd gotten there uh, to release that 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 first zombie book, um, I probably read. Oh, maybe a dozen or two dozen books on self-publishing. So I was really, I was really kind of studying the uh, um, the market um, to see if I could really make a go of it. And I guess by the time I'd gotten to that point, I I felt like I, I understood it well enough that that I that I could make a go of it. And I thought, well, you know, rather than screwing around trying to get a, a publisher as, as I had done for years prior to that. Um, you know, why, why not just try and see how it works out? So, um, Well, that's one of the things that um, as as a group of podcasters with Agora that we had talked about is that we're kind of a uh, support network for our for each other in podcasting and trying to get the to market to maybe monetize to some degree. Was there any models out there? You said there was books. Was there a community of self-published writers that you were able to rely on or maybe ask questions of that helped you through that process? Well, um, that's a yes and no answer because there was a community of self-published authors, um, but I wasn't aware of how to contact any of those people at that point. So, uh, you know, aside from the books I read, um, I spent a lot of time looking at, well, frankly, just looking at the Amazon web pages and saying, okay, what, what are, um, what are successful books doing? You know, what, what, what was the thing that makes them, um, or what are the things that make them, I guess, sell as opposed to, uh, not sell like my, well, my first book obviously didn't, but, but, but having said that, that was basically just saying, when you upload a book to Amazon and then do nothing. Um, which obviously did not work. Um, the second time around, um, I I started searching around for various websites where I could promote my book, and, and again, kind of taking a very uh, um, reinventing the wheel approach with it, because again, I wasn't aware of any of these other resources yet. So um, the third time around, um, again, I had all that knowledge, and and one of the things, well, I guess one of the things that I learned. Um, 
just from looking at uh, um, Amazon is I, I guess I noticed that people were doing this first one free for a series. Uh, and especially in the, in the zombie genre, um, they give away a, a first book obviously and, and had people pay for the subsequent books. And then I, and I found plenty of websites where I could actually advertise to give my first book away for free. And I thought, okay, well, that, that seems like a model that works. So I was really, I guess, for the most part, just copying what other people were doing in terms of marketing. And it was like, you know, what are, what are these people doing that's successful? And can I kind of uh, um, extrapolate the steps that they're taking? Um, so, for, so for those ones that were giving away the first book free, I thought, okay, I can, I can see from here what they're doing. And I think I can do that too. And uh, so I did. And um, it worked. What I was thinking is, and this um, comes in a question from one of our fellow podcasters, Tom, and uh, as we were talking about this, what gave you or helped you build up the nerve to say, you know what, I'm going to ditch my nine to five and do this full tilt? Because that's a huge jump that very few um, independent podcasters, self-publishers are willing to do or able to do. Was that something you felt inside of yourself that you could really make a go with this? Well, yeah, I think uh, – so basically the first zombie book came out in July of – I'm thinking 2013. And then in 2014, um, in, I actually earned more in royalties than I did from my, my paycheck at work. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, maybe cause I, I'd never, as much as I, I wanted it to happen and kind of dreamed about it happening. I never truly believed that I would, I always believed that it would be part-time income. You know, it's like, let me, uh, you know, let me kind of get my, you know, I guess for that year I was working full-time, especially I thought full-time writing while working full-time at my job. I thought, you know, let me just work really hard, get myself established. And then I can kind of come back to uh, a manageable work pace and, and hopefully get a, a good kind of a part-time income doing what I love, you know, to kind of supplement my, my full-time job. But uh, when I, um, I guess had that, that month where I actually made more money, I, uh, it really opened my eyes and I thought, wow, I, is it really possible that I can do this? And then uh, um, after that, I think I've never had a month where I made less money uh, than I did working full time. So, well, I say that, but you know, there were there were several months where where my spent. Let me say my my gross royalties were were always more. But sometimes after I subtracted my expenses, I, I made less. But now I uh, again, it's to the point now where I uh, um, even after subtracting expenses, I'm I'm doing better now than I did before uh, writing software. So it really did start out as something as just a little maybe extra pocket change for doing something making the money was a benefit of doing something that you were enjoying to do absolutely anyways. True. Yes, absolutely. You said that you started in 2013 or so you're set really only two and a half, three yeah, years ago. Yeah. Was this something that was a possibility five years ago or 10 years ago? Do you yeah, think? I don't think so. I know that, um, I'd look into, um, well, the, the concept of self-publishing had been kind of floating around out there for a while. And at first it was all very, uh, um, you know, certainly in the in the '90s, for instance, I'm kind of dating myself. Hello, buddy, I'm old. Um, but you know, in the '90s, you know, in the '80s, you know, it was basically vanity publishing. You know, if you self-publish, it was it was uh, you know, I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to 
you know, buy a thousand books and then give them to my relatives and then put them in my garage for the rest of my life. Um, although there are exceptions. Um, I believe that John Grisham, a name probably everybody who reads has heard of, I, I think he started that way. He he got a bunch of his books printed and literally just went to bookstores and said, hey, will you sell my book here? And I think that was how he got his get his, his beginning in, in publishing. But that's, I think, the rare exception. And then, you know, after... Um, well, you know, obviously with the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the internet revolution, the dot-com revolution, as, as, as things really started to change, um, the publishing, publishing is one of those things that changed. And so in the early 2000s, um, you know, there were uh, websites, I think there's one that comes to mind called lulu.com, where it's like you can actually print on demand, you know, so I could, if I wanted to, I could upload my book um, and then send people directly to their website to, to purchase it. You know, so it's like, oh, well, that sounds attractive, but um, how do I get people, how do I find people to go to that website to buy my book? You know, so although that, so while that option was available, it didn't seem viable to me in terms of being able to, uh, um, I don't know, really make any money at it. It kind of, it kind of seemed just like kind of a half a step, a, a, a in front of vanity publishing. And then I think probably around 2012, maybe um, when Amazon's, I think Kindle came out and uh, um, I think self-publishing for an independent really became, I think um, real in the sense that you could actually make a living at it. And, And I'm not, I didn't, I kind of became vaguely aware of it. I mean, I'd heard things, you know, here and there, and it's like, ah, you know, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. But having said that, I was probably still suffering a bit from the stigma that a lot of writers still suffer from, which is that that equating vanity publishing with indie publishing. Um, so, and then, of course, the uh, um, added... Um, Oh, I hate you. We're, we're using the word stigma again, but the the kind of talk around the water cooler, I guess, among people who, who, who write, it was that well, if you ever vanity publish, then then basically you burned your bridge with ever getting a real publisher because they'll just laugh at you, you know. So it's uh, um, so so a lot of my um, writing, I guess, acquaintances still believe that if you indie publish, you'll never get a what they would call a real publishing deal with a traditional publisher. At this point in your, do you think that published, like getting a full publisher, is that the goal or is that not even a goal anymore? <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's, that's a really <laughs> good question too. You know, and the, and the thing, so for me personally, um, I'm, I'm probably, it's, it's something, if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have been like, no, I have absolutely no interest in getting a real publisher. I'm doing very well on my own. I like my independence. I'm probably making more money doing it this way than most published writers um, with a traditional publisher. And, uh, um, but I think that just in terms of kind of diversifying my, I guess, my business, um, I'm mm-hmm. prob- well. I'm in the process of actually taking a hybrid approach. I've I've got an agent, um, and you know we're we're talking about what kinds of, I guess, books I can 
I can write for the traditionally published market. So, and probably the way we kind of envision it is that, you know, I'll continue indie publishing as I am. Because again, I'm, I'm doing very well and I'm very happy with it. I'm making good money at it. And I don't want to jeopardize that. But um, I'll probably publish through the traditional route one, maybe two books a year, um, assuming a publisher buys them. You know, and I think, and, and really that for me is purely, um, purely about, um, well, I guess diversification, because I think there's a degree of safety there. Because as an indie publisher, um, uh, to a degree, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at Amazon's mercy. Um, if Amazon, you know, um, emailed me tomorrow and said, you know something, we decided to change our royalty, tru- royalty structure, you know, and now it's half of what it was. Literally, my income would, uh, you know, be reduced by half, and there's nothing I could do about it, uh, except say, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> You know, but um, yeah. having said that, I I am published through Barnes and Noble and Apple and uh, Kobo and Google Play. So you know, uh, a reasonably a reasonable portion of my income comes from those uh, uh, platforms, but the largest part of my income comes through Amazon. And that seems um, similar in the way to podcasting that you really have to get yourself out into multiple different platforms, like you said, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. But Amazon being the one that's a ten thousand pound gorilla. <laughs> exactly. The that's the one that you. Have, <laughs> that's whose tune you have to dance to. Um, one thing that I was wondering is in this. I mean, I'm not looking for your. Uh, sales figures or anything but is this more of an electronic medium i sell or do you actually have oh yeah i do i do and basically it's amazon again they um they have a amazon owns a company called create space which is a print on demand company and uh um basically i every time i release a book i i say i but my my wife actually formats it for print, which is a little bit a bit of a pain. And she well anyway, she's got a background on a lot of things, so she can do it. So she formats it for print. I upload her to CreateSpace, and then because CreateSpace is somewhat integrated with Amazon, then the print book actually shows up on the product ebook. But I probably sell, I would say, a thousand ebooks for every one print book I sell. Oh, okay. So that sounds about um, what I was expecting yeah. in, in this sort of thing. And then I was going to say I sell audiobooks as well, um, and they do fairly well. And uh, um, I mean, I, I make I make decent money on audio. Uh, there are people, I guess, authors that I'm. Um, gosh, and I feel weird about saying friends because uh, you know we're in this kind of new. Uh, uh, new sort of world um, where I, I, I have people I've talked to have never actually met, <laughs> you know, met, met in person. Right. You know, yeah. and, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. And so it's, uh, um, so I have friends and acquaintances online and some of them sell far more books in audio format than they do, they do in the ebook format, which is, which is, well, yeah, it's great for them. Uh, but it's just um, various formats do. I, and, and on various products, I guess, sell so differently. So, do you think that being independent gives you more creative license than you would otherwise? Um, yes, I think so. But um, having said that, I'm I don't have a I've never had a deal with a traditional publisher, so I don't know what kind of constraints they place on me. You know, but but having said that, I know that as a uh, um, you know when you're 
I guess even when you're writing a book as, you know, like back in the day when I was thinking of a traditional publishing, going down the traditional publishing route, right? You kind of, it's always in the back of your mind. It's like, what, what, you know, what will a publisher think of this? You know, can I say this? Can I, can I broach this subject? You know, uh, um, do I have to be fairly conservative? Can I be, well, you know, can I be kind of off the wall zombie? You know, and frankly, uh, I think that had Amazon never come along with their, uh, um, indie publishing model, um, zombie books never would have taken off because I don't think that traditional publishers were interested in something that niche. Um, and I think that's probably one of the good things about Amazon in general and this whole indie publishing um, phenomenon is that it gives authors of what, what would have been considered a more niche product a place to sell it. But it provides a place for all the people interested in that niche um, somewhere to buy it. You know, and frankly, uh, um, if you look at romance, um, romance has done really, really well in um, in the ebook format. And and there are lots of reasons people talk about that. And, and you know, one of them is that that um, I guess one of the theories for it is that people are they're somewhat embarrassed to read, for instance, kind of a body romance in a paperback form because everybody sees what they're reading. But if it's on their Kindle, nobody knows. So, so they're less embarrassed to buy it and less embarrassed to read it. And, and, and so that, that, that niche, that subgenre has done really, really well. Um, again, kind of, kind of like zombies, but romance does much better. So I think that's, uh, um, so creatively speaking, it gives us all the writers, the authors, I guess, uh, um, a place to sell these what otherwise would have been niche products or even unsaleable products. What would you say your genre is? Probably post-apocalyptic, generally speaking. I don't, you know, which which it fits under sci-fi, I think. Um, you know, cause like when you go to Barnes and Noble, right? You know, you the 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 genres are pretty wide. It's like there's there's sci-fi, sci-fi fantasy, you know, and there's general fiction or literature and romance and. I don't know, hell, that might be it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if you go on, on Amazon, you know, um, there. I mean, you can drill down to probably three, four, maybe five hundred genres or subgenres. You know, you could get down to you know, mm-hmm. sci-fi, space colonization, romance. I think you know, or even <laughs> it's, you get pretty specific about the kinds of things you are interested in. You know, and I remember back when. Uh, um, for instance, I don't, well, there's a book, uh, World War Z, probably everybody's heard of the movie, but there was a book written by Max Brooks. And mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of when it came out, but I'm probably thinking I, I read it, you know, nine, ten years ago, maybe eight years ago, I'm not sure. Uh, and I probably, yeah, yeah I probably saw it at Barnes & Noble, and I, I think I, I remember seeing it there. I was like, oh, great, that looks like a good book. Um, I've never read a zombie book, and that seems interesting, because I kind of think zombies are cool. Let me buy it. And I read it, and mm-hmm. then I, I went back to Barnes um, – looking for another book and I couldn't find anything, you know? And I was like, well, that kind of sucks. And then later on, I think um, when I started, I guess, buying books on Amazon, uh, there was another book I came across. So I would periodically do searches for like zombie books because I was like, you know, again, I like World War Z a lot. I wanted to, you know, something else like it. And, and I, I read a wide variety of stuff, right? But um, eventually I came across a book by an author named J.O. Bourne, I think called Day by Day Armageddon. So I snapped that one up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it probably wasn't until um, 
two or three years after that, or maybe a couple years after that, when um, I started seeing, well, when the zombie, when, when that, when that, that genre started to kind of filled up with, with other books. But before that, there was, they were really nearly impossible to find. And I think that, um, I think that you don't want to put yourself just in the niche because I think a lot of science fiction you can read nowadays isn't that great, but yours is really, it's story driven and it's character driven moving into talking about your book yeah, specifically more, you have nine good slow about my books book <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think that there are nine 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 slow burn books yes and then three ebola k books yeah. and we'll get into what each of these um series is is about and then another book that you co-author with another writer? Yeah, The Last Survivors. And that, that series has five books. And we're working on the sixth one, the sixth and final one right now. That's an area that I was wondering a lot because um, that has got to be very challenging to co-author a book series like that. What is the process with that? Yeah. And how did that idea come about? Um, yeah, well, the um, Piper Brook my 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 co-author he uh actually emailed me initially and um and we we i guess we both kind of we we were kind of very we were acquainted i guess we'd we'd been associated in i think at a box that that someone else had put together and we, so we kind of know who each other were um anyway so he emailed me and said hey i want to do this deal blah 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 and 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 i say the blah blah blah, blah part because the truth is that i I guess I was in a hurry and I totally misread his email. Um, so, so he wanted to do something, but not nothing. So I emailed him back and said, well, you know, let's, I find that idea intriguing. So let's, let's just write this series and do some stuff and blah, 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 blah. And, and then he, so anyways, he was kind of surprised because it was, I guess the project I was proposing back then was much larger than, than I think he wanted to do like a little anthology or something with some other authors. Uh, you know, and actually looking back at the that original email, that's basically what he was asking for. So, um, so one thing leads to another. We call each other on the phone. We start talking about ideas, and we look at really excited about it. We're like, well, hey, let's let's maybe we we'll just go ahead and write a series. And uh, um, the funny thing was that we were both working on other projects at the time. We decided, well, it's what you know. We both have a break maybe coming up, and I think this was all happening in probably July, July August time frame, but whatever year it was. And then um, we were going to get into it in October. So then the next time we had a call, maybe two weeks, a week later, we both actually started writing it because we were excited about it. <laughs> you know, so um, the way it, the process we finally settled on was that, uh, um, so we had this, this, this world we built that has, and it, and it has a lot of characters in it. Probably, uh, gosh, it varies because people die. <laughs> but, um, what we basically, the way we handled it was he would write some of the time, the timelines for some of the characters and I would write them for some of the other characters, although we'd switch out from time to time. And then, um, we each edit each other's work. So you want, we wound up with kind of a, a hybrid of our styles rather than just like my style and his style. And uh, um, then we we knit the stories together, and we knew where each book was going and where the story was going in general. So that wasn't you know it wasn't like uh, completely off the wall to, to kind of put all the stories together because all the you know all the characters were kind of dealing with this, these central problems. And uh, um, 
there were some difficulties along the way, uh, things we don't, you didn't talk about. For instance, um, I believe in the first book, we, we never talked about the time frame, like how long, how, how many days does a story take place over, for instance? You know, and, and, I, and I think I wrote my stuff to, to take place over three or four months, and he wrote his to take place over three or four days. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a... <laughs> right. But it's like we just never we never thought to talk about that. It's like, oh, well, okay, well, now we've got to, you know, make the corrections to make all that work. You know, so um, so there were some difficulties, but I think the the um, the difficulties were eclipsed by the benefits in that it was really fun to sit down and, you know, on the phone and through email, you know, talk to another author about ideas and bounce them back and forth and kind of, you know, come up with a lot of interesting things. Um, and then kind of out of it, the whole process, I believe, you know, and we talk all the time. I've got a, I feel like I've got a coworker, you know, and, and, and a friend. Um, he finally came back, came down to Texas and visited, ooh, gosh, last fall. You know, so we actually, we finally met. You know, after after four books. <laughs> wow. I was I just probably you know one of those uh, um, kind of relationships that's possible today that wasn't possible. Yeah, it's yeah. only possible. Yeah, ten twenty yeah. years ago. So now let's get into the actual books because that's they're such great books, and I'm so thankful I stumbled upon them, liking the post-apocalyptic genre in general. But I think that it's, to me, that's more of a setting and it's what you're really, you've developed interesting characters and characters who are, um, they don't change completely after this um, world changing event. They're still in a lot of ways, they're still carrying a lot of the baggage that they had before. Maybe you can um, – the Slow Burn series, is, is that's the largest one in terms of books. Can you just give us a quick synopsis of it? Oh, wow. Yeah, so the um, – gosh. Yeah, not through nine books. But um, basically there's – yeah, there's just a, an overview, there's, yeah. You know, as, as with most, I guess, zombie-type virus-related or, or, or stories or post-apocalyptic stories, there's this virus – um, people fall ill, but it's not, um, they don't fall ill and then die and turn into zombies. It's more of a, a, a virus that kind of, it's a little more like rabies in the sense that, um, it, uh, alters your behavior. So I've got this whole, it, and most people are infected. I've got some people who aren't. And then this very small class of people who got infected, but, but aren't really, uh, turning into, um, they're not, they're not mentally debilitated, uh, um, or mentally changed like these uh, like zombies are. And the main character in the book is one of these people. So that kind of makes him unique, uh, along with what turns out to be his, his main buddy. Um, anyway, so things, you know, the virus comes, the world kind of falls apart, and they've got to try to figure out how to, um, well, you know, A, survive, and then there's this constant talk or this constant uh, problem that they're trying to resolve. How do we, you know, how do we get to safety? Where's the safe place? You know, do we, do we, um, you know, obviously do we, do we hold up, hold up here in Austin? The, the story takes place in Austin, Texas. You know, do we, do we hold up here? Do we, uh, you know, and they wind up in a few places, you know, they start out in a dorm on the college campus and realize, oh, well, this sucks because, you know, it was a bad idea. And it goes, kind of goes from one thing to another, to another. And, uh, um, um, through the whole thing, uh, 
Zed, the main character, um, I would say he grows and matures a bit, but um, he's a character who has who comes from a really basically he's he's a character who's abused as a child, comes from has a very distant mother, has a very a lot of difficulties dealing with life, but seems to do pretty well in this apocalypse although his his problems come back to haunt him all the time and then you know the his mm-hmm. kind of the 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 counter uh to zed is murphy who's who's this guy who's uh um you know basically got kind of a very uh happy or lucky view of life and uh um kind of kind of keeps the story and keeps zed uh, i think somewhat balanced Yeah, that's what I thought was so cool about the series. It's um over the course of nine books and time wise, how much how much time it elapsed, about a not that long of a time period. Yeah, I think probably I'm thinking six about six months. It starts out in August and I think we end up actually in that the the following winter, so probably in January, February. So Yeah, so what inside of that time that time frame the the main character Zed really he's he really doesn't or that baggage that he had beforehand he's still dealing with it up until the end and it's I think that's an interesting way to look at it that that is something like a major world changing event it really doesn't change or it, it has a difficult time changing who you fundamentally oh, yeah. are and that's true I think yeah fundamentally you are that, that, and that's definitely true for Zed because um, and, and I think yeah there there are ways that I think he's he adapts I think to the world and, and I think uh, um, you know there there are differences but there there are things that you just can't shed from your past in six months right um, I think there there's that kind of a, um, you know when you go to see the movies and and sometimes, you know, you have the character who's like, they had this epiphany, right? It's like, oh, I had this epiphany and now, now I'm a new person. You know, now I'm not going to be a bank robber anymore. Now I'm going to be a, I don't know, a veterinarian, you know? So that kind of crap happens yeah. in movies. And sometimes it works, you know, sometimes those, those stories were, um, well, I, let me digress a, a bit, but I think on, on some stories where you had this character go through this kind of transition and become a better person through the course of the story um they're, they're very interesting but i think for someone like this like zed for instance who's got so much um so much baggage it's it's not possible to get past it all in six months he you know frankly he'd have to go go to therapy for six months or six years and you know get on probably an antidepressant <laughs> you know <laughs> um it's going to take him a long time to to get to get through it, but having said that, to a degree, it, it you know, and 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 I think uh, um, the two characters, Zed and Murphy, they have conversations about this early on about how uh, um, you know, especially Zed, kind of having an emotional detachment from other people, um, it makes it easier for him to to do the things that are necessary in this world because basically, you know, the the zombies, they 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 mostly look like regular people. Um, they don't look like monsters crawling out of the ground, you know? So it's, it's a little more difficult to actually have to have to shoot someone who looks like a real life person, you know, and, and, pro- and, and was a real person two months ago, 
you know, so, so that becomes a real, um, a real problem, well, I guess, for a lot of characters in the, in the book, but less so for, for Zed and Murphy. That was a part of the books that intrigued me is that there was a, there is a kind of a realism in there that the setting is really detailed in Texas. And then that the, I don't know what you would call it, the health aspect of the zombies that they've just, they've contracted some sort of virus that's um, impaired their mental faculties, but they're not dead. They're not, you don't make that huge of a logical leap. What made you build a, that, that what made you create the zombie in that way, in a more realistic way. And then the detail of the setting, why did you choose those two details? Like, yeah, that? I think, well, as far as the, the, uh, the, the zombies, I, I like, I, I wanted the, the story to be plausible as, as plausible as I could make it. Um, I, I, I didn't like, well, when I'm playing video games, for instance, I like slow shuffling zombies with their eyeballs falling out because I can shoot them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but I like. I, but in terms of the story, and, and that's the thing I, I never quite got about zombie zombie movies when I watch them. It's like it's like I'm thinking, well, um, run, <laughs> you know, <laughs> problem <Yeah>. solved, <laughs> you know. So, um, but but having said that, I I did want a story that that seemed more real and would have a, a, a plausible explanation because, and that's the other thing that, that whole crawling out of the ground, shuffling around zombie thing. I just, it just seemed too fake to me. Um, so it, it didn't, it didn't really appeal to me, but um, a person with a, a real disease um, or as real as I could make it, um, that 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 was appealing to me, and and I liked them to be fast, and I and I liked them to be varied. I, I don't. I think like like life, right? In in real life, nothing is nothing is black and white, you know, and uh, um, mm-hmm. not everything is exactly the same. And I didn't want my my zombies to be that way either. There's a wide variety of people, and there's a wide and a, a wide variety of them, mostly because they're all affected by the disease in a different way. It very, very much like, uh, well, you know, you could, if you're at home, you know, with wife and you come home with a cold and you might spend three days on the couch watching Oprah and she might catch it and sniffle a couple of times and go, I'm done. Why are you a sissy? You know? And it's just, a, <laughs> yeah. it's just, a, you know, um, diseases, viruses and, and bacteria affect people different ways. Um, so again, kind of going back to what I what I thought was would be a more realistic approach to the disease that I that I I as imagine, then uh, I would have again people affected differently, and and that gave rise to um, you know my main character Zed. So um, you wind up having this whole spectrum of of zombie behave or zombie or zombie like behaviors rather than just this you know black and white you know Walking Dead people and good guys. And then as far as the details, yeah. you know, um, uh, that's a good question. And I think it just came down to um, um, wanting to draw I, – I, I wanted people to be able to um, be – I wanted it very easy for people to imagine themselves in the story. You know, I want people to 
I, I wanted people to be able to relate to the characters in such a way that, you know, you think, wow, I, I know this, I know this person, I know this character as if he's a real person. I'm, I'm actually, I want them to feel emotions for the characters when, you know, when they go through their problems. And even, you know, if some of them die, and if some of them do, but I wanted people to be able to visualize, you know, what, what those settings were such that, you know, they can, they can imagine themselves standing there, there by Zed and Murphy, you know, shooting these zombies and trying to figure out how they're going to get out of the situation. And there's one, for instance, there's one, um, I think it comes up in book, maybe three, book three, where Zed actually gets this wild idea that he's going to drive this Humvee to the top of this parking garage and just shoot all the zombies when they come up. And of course, like most of his plans, it kind of goes to crap. Um, but then he's stuck on this parking garage with no way to get down. And um, what he winds up doing is kind of going over the, you know, it's like a four or five story garage, but he goes over the edge, but he slides, slides down this, this banner. And the interesting thing about that was that I didn't, you know, in, invent or imagine the, the banner. There's a hospital in Austin, well, Brackenridge Hospital, where, where that is. But they actually had this long banner, you know, hanging from the top of the garage all the way down to like the, the lowest level. Um, it had been there for like years and I thought, wow, that would be a, that, that's a way to escape, you know? So it's, uh, um, so a lot of the details and especially a lot of the physical details about the city are, are the real, the real, the real places. So it's just, uh, yeah, it was just all about trying to, uh, trying to create a user experience, a user experience and going back to my software days now, <laughs> but you know, I want, I wanted that reader experience to be as, as engaging as possible. And you have other series you have the, well, the one other question I had about writing series in general, you create this detailed universe. Now, is that something that you feel like you want to keep going back to, or do you get to the point where you get sick of it and you want to move on to fresh material? Uh, both. Um, yeah, both. I think with, uh, um, slow burn i'd originally thought it would go six books and then um i i guess i at first when i when i wrapped up the sixth book and it was a uh a fairly traumatic ending because some of the some favorite characters passed away um but uh, um at that point i thought well you know i've kind of told the story i wanted to tell so i'm, I'm basically done um but as you know, as time went by, I thought, well, you know, I I think I've got some more ideas, and I'd like to explore those. Um, so let me let me try some more books. You know, so um, that wound up being book seven, eight, and nine. And so at this point, um, you know, in 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 Zed's life. Um, now, have you read all nine books? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. So you know that you know that he comes to book nine, and it's like it's. So for the first time in nine whole books, he comes to the end of the book and it's like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm in a safe place and, and I'm happy. And being happy is a big deal for him, right? Because mm -hmm. he's, 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 had, he's been such a troubled, a troubled young man all along. You know, so it's almost like at this point, it felt really – it was really, really, really weird to leave him there. I, I was uh, – um, I'm, I'm emotionally attached to these characters, just like, you know, a lot of the readers are, you know, so when I get to that point, it was like, wow, I feel, I feel, 
I feel like there's this burden that I've been carrying for a while. It's like having this, it's like having a friend who's always in trouble, you know, or addicted to drugs and finally they go, I'm clean. And you're, and it's like, Oh, now I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know? So it's like, I don't have to worry about the trouble that I left, you know, Zed and Murphy in, you know? So, um, at, at the moment, I'm, I'm very happy with where I've left it. You know, will I write some more in the series? Um, possibly. Um, well, I say that, but there's a, a kind of a little uh, novella thing that I'll be doing later this fall that's kind of, anyway, um, it, it's, it's complicated. But anyway, <laughs> it'll, it'll have those characters in it. So, um, but as far as being sick of the world, um, you know, if I get, if I get kind of tired of, uh, of it, then I just don't write in it. And then when I'm, when I want to, then I will, because I, I don't want to just put words on a page, you know, just for a paycheck. You know, I want, I want to be passionately involved with what I'm writing because a, it's fun for me. And that I think that that passion turns into good, good, a good story that the readers will feel passionate about. Um, so I guess as far as being sick of it, not really just, uh, but yeah, I guess maybe a little tired from time to time or maybe out of ideas. Yes. Um, and as, you know, as far as that extends to the, like, say, for instance, the Ebola K books, that was always planned as just a, a three book, a three book story. Um, and with the last survivors, you know, that was, that was kind of planned as a, um, a, a, um, a limited story as well. And we didn't, we didn't know how long it was going to take us to tell the story we had in mind, but it turns out it's six books. Now, um, with going back to slow burn for a second, could I pick it up and, and tell more stories in that world? Absolutely. And, and I might, um, but there's also a, well, a brand new series that I'm starting called black rust. Uh, the first book came out a month ago. The, another book is going to come up. Well, probably later today, right. <laughs> but the, the way, yeah, the way that one's written is, is it's um, not so much a serialized story like slow burn is, but it's, uh, well, ideally, it's kind of standalone, a series of standalone stories. So I can write as many or as few as I, as I wanted to. Um, and, and that's the idea there. So um, maybe three years from now, when you say, Bobby, are you sick of a world? I might be sick of that world. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how you've taken a different tack on the post-apocalyptic and especially the zombies. They're sort of that... They're even a, they're as much a part of a setting or a character in and of themselves. In um, the last survivors, they were maybe you can get into that story a little bit because that's a really interesting science fiction story. Yeah, and I think one of the I mean, kind of as a quick aside, we we uh, um, gosh, yeah, we we. Piper Rook and I talked about that a lot. And as far as, uh, um, yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a sci-fi, I think, book in kind of a fantasy setting, you know, so, so, you know, given the, the kind of the epic scope of it is more of kind of a fantasy book idea. And, and from a marketing perspective, those are the readers that are responding to it the best in terms of, uh, uh, um, well, efficient marketing dollars, I guess. Um, so, but having said that the post-apocalyptic people have, have really, have really, uh, uh, um, well, they download a whole lot of copies. So I'm, I'm happy with that. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the idea for the, uh, infected people actually came out of a, gosh, I was, 
I think I probably saw a uh, documentary on on PBS some years ago, and it talked about this this fungus called cordyceps that would actually um, get on. It would grow on, like, for instance, an, an ant, like ant's heads, and then it would. So as the as the little fungal tendrils kind of burrowed into the ant's skull, it would change the ant's behavior. You know, and when as I read about it, or as I saw the the, the documentary, it, it, I thought, wow, they're like little zombie ants, you know. And then I thought, so when the idea for uh, um, the last survivors came around. Um, part of the, you know, part of the uh, concept was, well, how do you, what's, what's the plausible explanation, you know, for the, uh, um, the zombie-like people in this book? And, and, and it came down to a variation of cordyceps, you know, that had maybe mutated so that instead of infecting insects, it now infects, you know, uh, humans. Um, but that was really just kind of, um, the the zombie i think we actually call them well the characters in the book call them demons but um the concept for the book was had a lot more to do with um imagining a society 300 years after the collapse you know what how how do things become different you know um how does how does a society kind of regrow in the ruins of the old society? What are, what are the things that are different? Or what are the things that, um, so I guess, I don't know, I'm explaining this badly, but um, what does that evolution look like? And in the book, the idea was that um, there's a city called Brighton, but it's, it's grown up over uh, 300 years from an original um, 57 survivors. And and even that came down to, I, I was doing, a, I did a lot of research online about it. It's like, well, what's the smallest number of people you could have for a genetically viable human population? Um, and it turned out it was like, you know, 50 or 60 people, you know. So, so, so the idea was that there are these 50 or 60 people that actually survived the apocalypse in this group. And they were the ones that kind of grew through uh, um well, they grew into this this city and a couple of like smaller cities, um, and then then you know the questions that I, that you know we had to ask was like okay so if you have this group of people who are, um, you know they start out with you know whatever technology they've got on hand you know some guns and whatever else and whatever knowledge, um, how much of that knowledge then gets passed down to their children, and and the question became if you have if you're in a situation where you have to, um, uh, you know, hunt animals and grow your own corn and gather gather berries in the forest, how much of your time do you spend teaching your children um, algebra and Shakespeare and learning how to read and write? You know, so so that all, necessarily your children are going to be um, more ignorant in in academics than you are. And so through the generations, people have basically lost all of that knowledge. And uh, then once they, they kind of reach this, this, this state, you know, 300 years forward, you know, we have a, 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 a culture that now believes that, uh, well, the world is flat again, 
because they don't have any concept of the science to prove otherwise. And they have a lot of really, gosh, really screwed up beliefs. And then, and, and as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the major themes of the story is that, um, as, and as is true with most societies through, through history that, um, aren't, um, I guess, intellectually enlightened, women get the short end of the stick. Um, so women are, are, are a repressed gender and men kind of rule the roost. And through the, through the story, women kind of, uh, um, they kind of, they kind of come into their own through the course of the story, um, which hopefully works. I think the, the, the hard part about that is how many women read the first two books and go, gosh, what a chauvinist fantasy. I can't take this crap. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of what I think are, are very, uh, um, um, profound or uh, maybe profound is too self-aggrandizing, <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of fairly deep ideas and concepts that are explored, you know, through the through the course of the series. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's a much it's a much more complex story than, for instance, the slow burn. But whereas the slow burn is is focused more on on the complexities of um, the characters and their interpersonal relationships. The Last Survivors is focused more on kind of the the political aspects of a society evolving without uh, the knowledge that it has today, but being aware of a previous um, society that was much more technolo- technologically advanced than they were. And that was another one. There, that was a long way to answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> And that when the world is so small and you really don't say where it is, I think it was that part of it that you wanted to leave the reader guessing where that actual place was or is. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, when we first started, we thought let's kind of, let's kind of, let's start with a place that uh, um, is, I mean, a real physical place. And then um, now, you know, that exists today, and then kind of overlay our world on that 300 years in the future. And that was another one of those, um, like that timeline question we talked about earlier. <laughs> um, I think so. So Piper Brook and I started out in two different places. <laughs> <laughs> so we so we wound up with this hybrid this hybrid place. Um, which was just fine. And, uh, um, well, it, it came out just fine, but that's how that worked. <laughs> and then you have your other books. You have the Ebola K, which is quite different as far as um, premise goes. Yeah. And that's very much set in a, and, and yeah, the idea was that the idea with that was that, um, so I was, gosh, that's, I'm going to get kind of off the subject here a bit. I was working on a book um, about an Ebola outbreak. I was I kind of started it probably a month or so when I was dabbling with it when the Ebola outbreak in Africa had taken place. And uh, um, so which, you know, was kind of fortuitous timing for, for the book. Um, but wh- where, where the ideas kind of, um, at least for, for one of the main characters, I think the, uh, there's a, name, a character named Austin Cooper, who is this college student who's in Africa 
doing, uh, um, well, basically teaching, teaching children, well, basically teaching street kids um, at this little town called Captura, which um, all of the detail behind that came from my son, who had gone to Uganda the summer before and uh, was doing exactly what, what uh, um, the, 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 the main character in the story was doing. He was teaching the kids in Uganda. And he came back with all these really, I think, um, interesting stories. But, well, of course, my son's experience was much more positive than, than Austin in the book. <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, um, but it, it came, became part of the backdrop for, for the story that I was, that, I, that well, became Ebola K. Um, but that, that book is written. And so, well, basically it's like, okay, what, what happens, what would be, um, a realistic, um, what would be the realistic outcome if Ebola went airborne in our modern world? And, uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of research studying, epidemics um, throughout history. Uh, a, a lot of, I guess, maybe um, a lot of it with the uh, Spanish flu in like 1918 um, to see kind of how uh, uh, a modern society would, well, fairly modern, um, would deal with uh, an epidemic. And then, and then especially looking at how, um, you know, what sorts of problems arise, you know, and, uh, I remember one story from, um, you know, the, the 1918 epidemic, there was, you know, there's a coffin shortage, you know, people were, were, it got to the point where people were actually stealing coffins, you know, cause you couldn't, you just couldn't buy one anymore. Um, so, which, which, you know, when you think about it, it's like, oh, duh, of course that's going to happen. I mean, what's the, uh, what's the mortality, the normal mortality rate in a country like America, what's our manufacturing capacity for coffins, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it, it's just a, it's a weird problem to think through, you know, and then what happens, you know, so suddenly your mortality rate goes to the roof. What do you do with all the bodies, you know, and, uh, and what are the, what are the thing, what are the processes that a society would put in place to deal with the bodies? Um, and that actually becomes a very uh, uh, a very difficult situation for uh, um, uh, you know I guess there's a the, the father character in the uh, in the story named Paul Cooper when he has to deal with you know disposing disposing maybe that's not even the right word <laughs> you know but but taking care of the of the body of his wife who who has died um, it's a uh, um, I don't know it's, it's a very difficult situation you know that and even walking through the neighborhood and seeing you know the bodies on the porches and things like that. Cause you know, the, again, societies aren't, they, 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 they're not set up to handle that volume of, of, of the dead. And then, you know, there's all the questions of how does, how does the society, I guess, evolve? Um, you know, what, what, even down to, uh, like, I think at some point he goes to the grocery store and how do you, how do you pay at the grocery store when people don't want to touch paper money anymore because they think the Ebola virus might be on it. You know, so all these all these things, and and I think the interesting thing about it, um, as far as the story goes, is almost every every variation of of something that occurred in society and how the characters dealt with it was um, generally an, an updated version of something that had actually happened um, during an epidemic in the past. So. 
so the so the so the research kind of kind of in a, in a lot of ways kind of created the story. That's what I think I really enjoy about your books and leading into the next series that you're working on, The Black Rust, is um, that it's not so clear cut. Like in a lot of the stories where it's going into an apocalypse, it's this clear cut event and they really show like, okay, everything was Jim Dandy before. Now everything's gone to pot afterwards. Right. It's just funny. Last night, our water went out, which I don't I don't think it's ever happened in my life where the water (laughs) went out. And, you know, it's this slow evolution. You know, I just because we were doing this interview and I'm thinking about it, you know, the I go outside and just making sure like it wasn't our just localized our house and like everybody's water's out and everybody's kind of like, you know, creeped out about it. And that the town and nobody was saying anything about it like no calls went out nothing was on the internet about it and um then finally like a couple hours later the states said it was like half the county was out of water for some reason which they still haven't explained and um like our neighbor went to the grocery store and like all hell was breaking out there like people buying the (laughs) you know everything (laughs) that contained water in it and I thought, like, oh, yeah. how quickly that could get so out of control. And that's just one system breaking down. We still had gas. We still had electricity. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's actually a really good point. Because when you see, you know, like when you see, like, the blackouts, like when they have them, I think there's one, a big one in New York, you know, um, trying to think of how long ago it was, three or four or five yeah. years ago. You know, and people, you know, people are like, I, how do I even get home? You see these hordes of people just kind of walking over the bridges just to get back to their mm-hmm. house, you know, which, which might be what, 10, 20 you know, miles away. But yeah, it's really, uh, yeah. And I, and I'm definitely with you there. I, 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 I'm, I guess the thing I like when I write most of all is I want to make things um, as plausible as possible, as realistic as possible, you know? So no, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a situation unless there's a nuclear war, I guess, where, um, it's, you know, hunky dory today. And now tomorrow, suddenly we're all living with Mad Max, you know? (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I think that in in a lot of ways, and especially in Ebola K, because they talk about a lot of these same things and well, and actually even in black Rust, um, where society slowly, things slowly fall apart, you know, with, you know, when one system fails and then something else fails and, it, and it's kind of this piecemeal sort of thing. Um, and actually in the, uh, um, well, there's a book called black virus, which is going to be a prequel to black rust, which is the one that's hopefully getting published tonight. <laughs> but um, it talks a lot about that. And actually water is a problem. Two of the characters are talking about it. They're like, well, you know, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, two gallon sized jugs of water on the counter and we've got some uh, some Coke bottles, some empty Coke bottles in, in the pantry that we filled up with water last time the water was running because the water gets very sporadic. Sometimes it's running, sometimes it's not. Sometimes electricity is on, sometimes it's not. Sometimes when the electricity is on, sometimes I can get a connection to the internet, sometimes it's not because, you know, you can get to the, just because your electricity is on doesn't mean the electricity is on at the server farm where your, mm-hmm. you know, your, your connection is. You know, so all these systems start to, you know, start to um, to fail, you know, and, and it can fail in many ways. And and they have all these these failure points. Um, and then obviously people start kind of flipping out. Like you said, people start running to the grocery store thinking, holy crap, you know, the, the world's coming to an end. You know, and of course, it's not which we say, <laughs> but 
one day when there is a major catastrophe, those people that run panic and run to the store first are the ones that are going to have some water and the rest of us, the ones of us that stay calm and collected, we're going to be like, oh shit, I don't have any water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing is like like in Texas, I, I guess, well, we lived in Denver for a while, we now live back in Texas, but um, you know, when it snows down there or they predict there's going to be a freeze, it's crazy. You go to the grocery store and people are stocking up like crazy. And it's like, it's like, and I just want to say, calm down. Yes, it's going to freeze, but you have to remember this is Texas. So come tomorrow, it's going to be 80 degrees again. So calm down, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It's like also in a lot of ways, things that we're very accustomed to right now can become the new normal if they go away. Like you said, if internet access becomes sporadic and electricity, it becomes normal pretty quickly. And people people adjust to new, new ways where you'd think that, oh my God, I could never live for a second without constant running water. But you definitely find ways to make do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that that making do is what kind of becomes interesting in the story, you know. Um, especially as things get worse and worse and worse. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. If wrapping up here, are there any um, plugs you'd like to do? You said that there's a new book coming out today as the recording of this, so it'll definitely be out when it's released. Is there any other projects that you're that are upcoming that? Um, you could probably throw out a little um, teaser on. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I guess so. There's a, I guess I mentioned Zed and Murphy early, earlier uh, from Black, from, I'm sorry, Slow Burn. Um, there's another author named Nicholas Sansbury Smith. And he, uh, so, you know, another one of our, my online friends, uh, who's also, also an author. Anyway, he, he, uh, um, he convinced me to do, there's this thing called Kindle Worlds, uh, and basically the way it works is people write books in somebody else's universe. For instance, somebody, somebody. Well, if if my books, if I, I guess if I was signed up for it or whatever, somebody could go out there and write a slow burn book, uh, for instance. So what Nick and I have talked about is taking Zed and Murphy and then putting them in the Extinction Cycle universe um, and seeing how that goes. So so. Um, I'm working on something with Zeta Murphy, but it won't be in the slow burn universe. It'll be in the extinction cycle universe. And that'll be out in, I think October 19th. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so um, this, you have a scoop. You're the first person who knows. <laughs> <laughs> I guess besides me and Nick and uh, the Kindle, Kindle worlds people. But um, yeah, so that's, that's coming up. Um, aside, besides that, um, Nothing, nothing concrete. I like said, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to write two or three more book, Black Rust books this year. Um, I, I may do some more with Zed Murphy, Cat uh, and I, Cat, my wife. We've, we've talked about, um, about uh, um, doing, doing another, uh, I guess, story with like, probably with Zed Murphy, Steph and Dal Hoover. Um, you know, kind of, kind of the main characters there and, uh, um, but not really maybe taking a bit of a skip in time. So maybe jump a, a year or two ahead, uh, from where, where we kind of left them in, in happy land out in Balmoria 
and, uh, you know, kind of putting him into a, another situation that might turn into a trilogy. And uh, so we're, 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 we're kicking the idea around quite a bit. So, you know, we, her and I talk about the plots in the books quite a bit. Um, so um, if I can kind of hammer out what I think would be a really good story for them in that universe, then I'm going to write that. Um, well, just for, for a lot of reasons, right? I like the universe. I'm very attached to the characters. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's like it's almost they're almost like family now. You know, um, so uh, so so that's that's kind of on the back burner for the moment, or it's kind of let's it's simmering it's simmering on the back burner. Let's put it that way. You know, so once the way these things normally work with me is, I guess once I kind of. Uh, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Get that 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 story kind of solidified in my head, then probably I'll just jump in and just blast through a, a draft and you know have something written in six weeks. So uh, usually, usually I write pretty fast once I once I kind of know where I'm going with the story. So it's possible that there might be another uh, book in. Well, of course, there's the one in October. There might be something else uh, in that universe with those characters before Christmas. Mm -hmm. But uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I'm not going to promise because I always get in trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like sometimes it's like I just, it's I don't know. It's hard to hard. To, I, I tend to overpromise what I can deliver. So that's what it is when it comes to writing. And we did speak of it earlier, but these books are available on Amazon and BarnesandNobles.com and iTunes Store, Google Play, anywhere else that you And Kobo. Oh, Kobo. Kobo. Yeah, and Kobo is really big in Canada and internationally and not so big here in the U.S. So, But yeah, those are the places where I saw them. You can get these yeah. books. And go get them now. We just scratched the surface that minimally scratch the surface on these books so you should definitely go get them and i'm going to keep checking my phone for the book that's coming out today will it actually come yeah, out you, <laughs> when, whenever so it comes I'll, I'll up get it, I'll, yeah i'll get all the files uploaded today and the way most of them work is it takes anywhere from an hour it takes anywhere from one hour to 48 hours before they actually publish it and i don't have any visibility in the process so i don't know what they do on their end <laughs> But so uh, let's say probably tomorrow. <laughs> All right, I'll keep watching, keep checking my phone for updates. Well, cool. Thank you very much for coming on, and um, 
we really appreciate it. And I think this was a great interview. Yeah, I had a good time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.